All right, good morning. So we have now come to week six in our Seven Deadly Sins series. Uh, this is a series where we have been trying to do what Hebrews 12.1 encourages us to do. Uh, hopefully you're close to being able to say that verse by heart. Uh, we've been using it as our theme verse throughout this series. Uh, but it has been two weeks since we've said it together. So uh, I'm going to put it up and we're all going to try and say it in unison. Hebrews 12.1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In this series, we've been trying to identify the sins that entangle us and asking ourselves, how can we throw these things off? Um, how can we become free from these destructive impulses? And this week, we're talking about the sin of greed. Now, I think that greed is a sin that probably doesn't need a lot of explanation. I think we generally know what greed is, but I do have a timely illustration for us. Ever since I was a little kid, one of my holiday rituals has been to uh, watch this great work of art here. A Garfield Christmas special, first aired in 1987. And the cartoon begins with Garfield the cat having a dream sequence. And uh, his owner, John, uh, wakes him up in this dream sequence. And he gives him a tray of lasagnas, several lasagnas, that he eats his way to the tree. And he gets to the Christmas tree, and John uses a forklift to drive over this enormous present. And the box opens up, and the present is what you see in this picture here. It's this kind of chair throne thing with Santa on the back. And it has a hat which goes on your head, the person who sits in the chair, and then whatever they think of comes out of the Santa bag on the side. So John says, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And so Garfield gets in the chair, and he puts the hat on, and he starts thinking of everything he wants. And out of the bag starts coming all this stuff, you know, stereos, televisions, food, uh, jewels. And, and as he thinks of all this stuff, the room just keeps filling with more and more things. And a song plays while he's doing this, and he starts dancing to the song as all the stuff is coming out of the bag. And... Uh, I'm going to read the lyrics. I'm not going to sing the song. I'm going to read the lyrics so that we can really take them in. This is what it says. Gimme, 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 gimme. Just when you think all your presents are accounted for, that's the time you got to ask for more. Christmas is my favorite time of year because that's the time I get my Christmas cheer. Come on, gimme. Gimme, 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 gimme. I'm going to shake all the goodies right off this tree. Come on, gimme, 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 gimme. Yeah. And, and then Garfield jumps into the pile and he says, things, stuff, gadgets, toys, greed, avarice. I love it. And that, of course, is what shameless greed looks like. Right? To put it into words, greed is an excessive desire to possess wealth and material things. 
Now, here's something I've heard that I think is helpful in really understanding the essence of greed. Greed is not just the love of possessions, but it's actually the love of possessing itself. Not just the love of possessions, but the love of possessing itself. So in the scene that I just described, Garfield, he creates so much stuff for himself that himself that it's waist high in the room, right? There's so much stuff that he can't actually even appreciate each, each individual item because uh, he has more than he could ever need. And that's what greed is like. Greed delights in the possessing more than it delights in the possessions themselves. There's a Christian radio program called Groundwork, and they did an episode once on the subject of greed. And they had a great illustration of this love of possessing, what, what greed means. They said, if you watch a group of kids playing in a room with a bunch of toys, it's not unusual for one of those kids to start going around and trying to gather up all the toys, right? And once they have this hoard of the toys, they spend all their time trying to defend that hoard from any of the other kids getting any of them. Now, the kid doesn't even have a chance to enjoy any of the toys, right? He doesn't have a chance to play with them, but that's okay because what he really cares about is not playing with the toys, but just possessing them and making sure that nobody else does. The delight is in the possessing. That's greed. And of course, we adults can be just like kids. Uh, greed causes us to collect more things than we can ever really appreciate or enjoy. And then when we do, our lives become all about defending our hoard, preserving our hoard, maintaining our hoard. Now, Jesus had a few things to say about this hoarding impulse uh, of greed. And if you want to follow along uh, in your own Bible, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Uh, but before we do that, let's say a quick prayer. Lord, we thank you uh, for your words of wisdom through Jesus, and we pray that right now you would open our hearts to be able to hear what you're saying here. Uh, we pray that you would give us insight into your words, and we pray that we would uh, be, be fully present here right now and fix our attention on you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the words of Jesus... Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the way I see it, Jesus gives us at least three insights here into greed. And if you're taking notes, there's spaces in your outline here for these. The first one is this. Greed focuses our attention on impermanent things. Greed focuses our attention on impermanent things. 
Jesus points out here that the treasures that we gain through greed are all things that can be lost, right? Uh, they can be lost through uh, deterioration. They can be lost through natural forces like moths and rust. And they can be lost through the greed of other people who try to steal them away from us, uh, thieves who break in and steal. And, you know, even if we successfully preserve our earthly treasures by taking great care of them, by paying extra for insurance policies, by fireproofing the house and, you know, getting the best home security system, even if we do all that, at the end of our lives, we don't get to take that stuff with us. You know, anybody who has ever had to take over a deceased person's estate uh, knows the truth of that. When we depart this earth, we leave it all behind. And then we leave somebody else with the responsibility of figuring out how to protect all that stuff from moth and rust and thieves or whether to just let it go. And that means whatever we gain through greed, we don't get to keep. And so in, instead of storing up treasures on earth, Jesus tells us, store up treasures in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that you have some sort of heavenly bank account that you can forward your money to so that when you get to heaven, you can buy the best harp and the best halo and the fluffiest cloud to sit on? <laughs> well, that is not what that means. Just in case it wasn't obvious, I'm being facetious. I don't think heaven's like that at all. That image of heaven comes from cartoons, not from the Bible. Um, but what does it mean to store up treasure in heaven. To store up heavenly treasure is to focus our attention on what's going to last even after death. That's what it means to store up heavenly treasure. What, and what are the things that are going to last after death? Well, there, there's just a few things, really, but they're the most important things. And I would identify them as these four. I think this is what the Bible teaches us. The things that are going to last our relationship with God, potentially our relationships with people, the wisdom we've gained, and the character we've developed. Our relationship with God, our relationships with people, the wisdom we've gained, and the character we've developed. What we need to do is we need to look at that list of those four things, and we need to ask ourselves, is that where the bulk of my attention is in this life? If not, greed might be the reason. Because greed is a deceptive little punk that tells us to focus our attention on the impermanent stuff. Not this stuff, the impermanent stuff. It says, care about the impermanent stuff. Care about getting more impermanent stuff. Care about protecting your impermanent stuff. That's what your life should be about. But Jesus says, no, store up the permanent treasure. Focus on what lasts. A second insight Jesus gives us about greed here is greed makes us spiritually blind. Greed makes us spiritually blind. And you might have noticed that this passage has a section in the middle that's hard to understand, right? The flow of thought seems to go money, eyes, money. And if you're like me, the first time you look at that, you think, I don't understand what the middle part has to do with the beginning and the end. But Jesus isn't just going on an uh, unrelated tangent here. 
the point that Jesus is making here is that there is a relationship between our greed and our ability to see things as they really are. There's a relationship between our greed and our ability to see things as they really are. Greed is a blinding force. If there's one line that you remember from this sermon, that's one that I would really encourage you to remember. Greed is a blinding force. When we're greedy, it's as if we live in a world where the lights have been turned out and we're stumbling around, we don't know where we're going, we don't know what really matters. Uh, the pastor and author, Tim Keller, he makes a point about greed from Jesus' words here that I really appreciate. I think it's brilliant. He says that because greed has this blinding power, it's one of the sins that we are least likely to recognize in ourselves. Uh, he says that over his decades of being a pastor, people have come to him and they've confessed a lot of sins. You know, they've said, I have a problem with lust, I have a problem with pride, I have a problem with anger, but no one has ever come to him and confessed the sin of greed. And that's because greed is spiritually blinding. When we're greedy, we almost never realize it. Often when we hear about greed, our first thought is, well, that's somebody else's problem. And it's easy for us to think that because there's always somebody who's richer and greedier than we are. But just because somebody else has a bigger problem with greed doesn't mean that we don't have a problem, too. Another reason that greed is blinding uh, Keller says, is because it keeps us in the dark, because it keeps us from asking the tough questions uh, that we don't want to hear the answers to. So, for example, if you're really greedy, you're not likely to ask the tough questions about your company's ethics, whether or not your company is being ethical, right? You're not likely to uh, say, hmm, how might my quest for profit harm other people, or harm people in other countries, or harm the environment? We don't want to ask those questions. Greed doesn't allow us to ask those questions. And if somebody presents us with evidence that our quest for more possessions, more wealth, more money, if it's causing harm, greed makes it so that we don't take the evidence seriously. Greed makes it so that we won't even look at that evidence. You know, we'll find some way to dismiss it. We'll say, well, the data can't be trusted, or you can't listen to those experts. They don't know what they're talking about. Greed blinds us, puts us in the dark. And because greed has this blinding effect, we have to be extra reflective when asking the question, do I have a problem with greed? And so to help us to answer that, I want to offer three signs that we have a problem with greed. First one is an excessively lavish lifestyle. Uh, and this is the one that most of us think of when we think, oh, what's a sign of greed? Well, lavish lifestyle. Uh, when we're greedy, we feel this compulsion to buy uh, lots of things and to buy the most expensive things. We're not satisfied with just the average stuff. We want the best. I was uh, reading recently about a Christian author and speaker who is reported to own a $10 million corporate jet a $107,000 Mercedes, uh, $5.7 million worth of furniture, artwork, glassware, and the latest equipment and machinery. And among those things includes a $14,000 custom bookshelf, a $30,000 Malachite round table, and a $23,000 marble-topped antique commode. 
And I don't mean to sound judgmental, but I have a hard time trusting a Christian leader who lives that lavishly. Because there's something about an $107,000 Mercedes that just screams greed. Right? There's something about it that says, I'm storing up earthly treasure, and I don't care who knows it. But anyway, my point is this. A lifestyle of excess, a lifestyle of acquiring needlessly lavish and expensive things, that's a sign of greed. Now, most of us don't have $100,000 cars, right? Most of us don't have this excessively lavish lifestyle, so we have a tendency to think that we don't have a problem. But greed is primarily an attitude problem. We might very well be just as greedy as someone who has a $100,000 Mercedes. We just don't have the means to buy it, right? Uh, so we have to consider the second side of greed, which is just thinking too much about wealth, putting too much emphasis on wealth. Greed isn't just having the $100,000 car. It's really, really wanting the $100,000 car. It's being depressed and disappointed that you don't have the $100,000 car. It's feeling excessive admiration for the people who do have the $100,000 car. And even worse, it's feeling a resentment or hatred for the people that have the $100,000 car because you feel envy for them. Those are all signs of a problem with greed. Tim Keller says that one of the reasons, one of the ways that you can know you have a problem with greed is if you, if you admire rich people too much and if you look down on poor people. And then finally, a third sign that we have a problem with greed is an excessively thrifty lifestyle. This is not the one that we uh, think of intuitively when we think of greed. And actually, this is the form of greed that masks itself as a virtue. Uh, because it can be virtuous. It is virtuous to be careful with our money. It is virtuous to save some of our money. But if we take our thriftiness too far, it's not virtuous. It's greed. Some of us just love the feeling of having a bank account that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We love the feeling of logging into our online bank and looking at the account and being like, wow, it's even larger than it was last time I looked at it. And we don't have any plans for that money. We just like the fact that we possess the money. And as we continue to save over time, we let opportunities to be generous pass us by, uh, opportunities to bless people and, and even to enjoy with friends and family what we have, we just, you know, they just pass us by because we love the feeling of possessing so much. I think a timely example of this attitude is, of course, Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, every year around this time, we remember Charles Dickens' story, which is now 175 years old this year. And it's a story about a guy who was a slave to his own greed. Right? But you might remember, Scrooge did not have a lavish lifestyle. Uh, his greed didn't show itself in spending, but in saving, excessive saving. Scrooge didn't have any family to take care of, didn't have any kids, he didn't have any debts to pay off. And over the course of his life, because he had been so thrifty, so frugal, he had amassed a fortune. 
but he wouldn't even let Bob Cratchit put another uh, piece of coal on the fire to keep his hands warm while he was working for him. Why? Because that costs money. And nothing is more important to Scrooge than possessing money. You know, Scrooge refuses to donate to charity. He refuses to pay his workers a reasonable wage. And he whines about having to give him a holiday on Christmas. And I love this line. Dickens describes him as a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Because the most important thing for him is just to watch his fortune grow bigger and bigger and bigger. So, before we assume that we don't have a problem with greed, let's be careful to think about all three of those symptoms. And let's remember that greed itself has this power to blind us to our own greed. So we got to be very careful. Uh, but before we went on that tangent about the symptoms of greed, we were talking about the three insights Jesus gives us about greed. And we've got one more, uh, which is this. Greed makes us enemies of God's purposes. Greed makes us enemies of God's purposes. Uh, Jesus says very clearly, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And just in case there's any uh, uncertainty about what the two masters are, he finishes, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, why is that? Well, one of the reasons is because the life that God calls us to is a life of generosity. And greed, of course, is the opposite of generosity. You know, one way I would put it, a visual metaphor that I think is helpful, is that Jesus calls us to a life of open hands. Okay? Hands that are willing to give and willing to receive from others and, most of all, from God. But greed leads us into a life of clenched fists, you know, like Scrooge, grasping, clutching, covetous sinners. And, and, and our clenched fists desperately cling to whatever we have and just want more and more and more. But if we want to be people who serve God, we have to unclench our fists. We have to be people of open hands. So how do we do that? How do we find freedom from this spiritually blinding impulse that puts us at odds with God's purposes? Well, obviously, this is a huge question, and we can't you know, explore all the possible answers to it in just a few minutes. But one way that we can start finding freedom is to recognize the roots of our greed. You know, why do we end up greedy? There's something that's not logical about greed. Like I said earlier, it's not just the love of possessions, but the love of possessing itself. Why do we love to possess so much? Why do we love to have more stuff than we can possibly enjoy or appreciate? Why do we like to have more money than we can even spend? Why do we like to have so much stuff that it becomes a burden to take care of it and preserve it? Why are we like that? Well, I think this picture here might be a little hard to see, but it offers four possible answers to those questions, four answers to the roots of our greed. And what this comes from is not actually a, a resource specifically on dealing with greed, but from an evaluation that I give to couples who are going through premarital counseling. And there's a certain part of the evaluation that deals with your attitudes towards money. And it asks the question, what is your primary financial fear, 
which in other words is, is asking, if you don't have enough money, what is the thing you're most afraid of not having? And it offers these four possibilities, lack of influence, lack of security, lack of respect, and not realizing dreams. And it occurred to me this week that those four common fears, when they rage out of control, they are the roots of greed. They are what create greed. You know, we think that if we have more wealth, we'll have more influence. And we, many of us crave influence and power, and so we get greedy. Uh, we think that if we just have enough money, then we'll feel secure. We'll have some measure of uh, certainty in this crazy world. And so we get greedy to get more money. We think, we think that if we have the biggest house, the biggest car, or the nicest car, the nicest possessions, well, then people will really respect us. People will really recognize that we're somebody. And we'll finally have the love that we desire. And so we get greedy. And we think that if we just have enough money, we're going to be able to fulfill our dreams. We're going to be able to do the things that are the longings of our heart and, and the things that will really make us happy. And so we get greedy. And so at the root of our greed is deep fear. Fear. And it, it's a fear that apart from wealth, apart from having lots and lots of stuff, will never be influential will never be safe, will never be loved, and will never fulfill our dreams. And to finish up this morning, what I want us to recognize is that every one of those fears is a lie. It's not true. So let's look at all four of these real quick. Is it true that we'll never be influential apart from being wealthy? and having lots of stuff. No, it's not. It's true that wealth does bring with it certain opportunities, and if we have those opportunities, God calls us to steward that power well. But we have great power to influence, whether we have great wealth or not. If you think back on your life right now, I bet you can remember certain moments where somebody said something to you that had a profound impact on you for good or for bad, right? Stuff that you've carried with yourself for years and years. But did their power have anything to do with their bank accounts? Probably not. I'm sure that the power came from the words themselves. Because right? we have great power to influence no matter how much money we have. And also, if we're concerned about influence, we have to ask ourselves, well, what do I want to be influential for? Because if we want to be influential for what really matters, for the kingdom of God, we don't need lots of wealth and possessions for that. We can use our wealth and possessions to help uh, in God's purposes. But what we really need is not wealth and possessions. What we need is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit loves to work through rich and poor people alike. What about the second fear? We'll never be safe. Well, that's not true, and the first problem with that uh, fear is that it assumes that if we do have money, we will be safe. And that's not true at all, because like Jesus said, our earthly treasures, they're never safe, 
right? This is a world where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. This is a, a world of stock market crashes and a world where disease strikes unexpectedly. It's a world of earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes, not to be depressing, but that's the truth. And so if we're looking to our wealth and our property for any kind of ultimate security, we're being foolish. You know, if we're looking for a real deep sense of security, the only place that we can find that is in God. It's through the assurance that whatever happens to us in this life, our souls are safe with Jesus. That's the only way that we're going to really feel secure. What about third fear? We'll never be loved. Wrong again. Yeah. Wealth can gain you attention from certain kinds of people who wouldn't otherwise have paid attention to you. But it, it's probably not the attention you should want. You know, I've heard that rich people, research indicates, actually have more trouble having healthy relationships than people who have more average amounts of money. Because when you're wealthy, you're never really sure if people love you or just love your money. And I would say if uh, the divorce rates of celebrities are any indication, that research holds up pretty well. But regardless of whether our wealth helps us to gain human attention and love, we know that God's love is greater and deeper than any human love, and that love is given to us regardless of financial status. It has nothing to do with that. And finally, lie number four, we'll never fulfill our dreams apart from wealth. You know, this one is actually a little bit tougher to address than the others because there is a sense in which it's true. Uh, if your dream is to have this great luxury car or a yacht or to vacation all over the world, uh, then yeah, without some wealth, you're not going to fulfill those dreams. Let's, let's be honest. But when it comes to the dreams that truly matter, the dreams that are the most worthy of being fulfilled, those dreams don't need a huge bank account. The dreams that are most worthy of being fulfilled are the ones that store up treasure in heaven, right? The ones that build our relationship with God, with other people, the ones that gain us wisdom and that develop our character, not the ones that require lots of money and stuff. You know, and if we think we need, we need lots of wealth in order to fulfill our dreams, in order to live a good and fulfilling life, then we have to remember Jesus' words. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do we really believe that? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Because if we really do believe that, it's going to influence what dreams are the most important to us. Right? It's going to shape the kind of dreams that we think are the most important but I really do think many of us have a hard time believing uh, that life doesn't actually consist in the abundance of our possessions. But that is what Jesus taught, and it's also what Dr. Seuss taught. <laughs> I'm sure uh, many of us during this holiday season return to that classic Christmas story, The Grinch. And uh, if you remember the story, you remember that the Grinch hated Christmas. He didn't want Christmas to come. So what did he do? He, in the night, on Christmas Eve, he went and he stole all the Who's stuff, right? All the Who's in Whoville, he stole all their Christmas wealth. 
their decorations, their food, their, their gifts. And he was all excited because he thought, now I'm going to have stopped Christmas from coming. But on Christmas morning, as the sun was rising, um, in the climax of the story, the Grinch is shocked to look down on Whoville and to hear the Who's happily singing. Davu dore, davu dore. <laughs> and, uh, and the Grinch realizes that even though he's stolen all of their possessions, he hasn't stopped Christmas from coming. And he doesn't understand how, how could that possibly be, right? He's, he, he thinks it came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And the reason that Christmas still comes is because for the Who's, their life doesn't consist in the abundance of their possessions. Yeah, possessions are nice. They're great. But real life comes from something else. And actually, it comes from knowing what we celebrate at Christmas. It's appropriate that it's Christmas that can't be stopped in that story. Because it's Christmas that reminds us that there is a God who created us, who loves us, and who has entered into our world to save us. Right? And he is the one who empowers us to influence. He is the one who makes us secure. He is the one who loves us unconditionally. And he is the one who fulfills our most worthwhile dreams. And when we realize that, we don't need to be greedy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, deep in our hearts, we have a hard time believing that life doesn't really consist in the abundance of possessions. I think there's, there's probably very few of us, including myself, that doesn't struggle with thinking that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see uh, the lies that undergird that thinking. And I pray that you'd root them out of our hearts, Lord. Root them out of our hearts through the love of your Son, God. Help us to see the truth. Help us to see that we have what we truly need and to find our life outside of wealth. Free us from greed, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.